1: Right, welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always on this podcast. We're going to welcome in Angie Machado of BeaverBlitz.com. Angie, she's on the show to preview the, this game. We were discussing it earlier. Um, what do we call this game? Like it used to be called the Civil War. Uh, we're no longer instructed to do that. Does it, it need a name?
2: I don't know. You know, I'm. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. So. I have caught myself saying civil war more times than not this week. So um, I'm trying, I'm just calling it, you know, the Oregon game, but um, I'm trying, but <laughs> I might, I might mess up. Cause like I said, I'm old. So it's, it's hard.
1: The Beavers are one and two coming into this game. Um, they've looked good though. I think in, in their three games that they've played this season, one guy that's in particular that's looked really good is Jamar Jefferson. Um, stud of a running back, and I think any team, the goal when they play Oregon State is to stop him. And so my question is to get this off with: Is Tristan Jibby a guy that that he can beat one of the better teams in the conference with his arm? Uh, is this offense built to win games when Tristan Jibby has to throw the football? 30 or more times in, in, in a football game or is Oregon state knowing, go, knowing going into this game that we got to get Jamar Jefferson 30 touches. He's got to be successful no matter what Oregon throws at us.
2: Yeah. It's, um, honestly, I, Jamar has just been a stud. Like you said, I mean, he had 196 yards against Cal and this is a Cal team that actually already knew what Jamar could do and still couldn't stop him. But Oregon state needs to be more than one dimensional. They can't rely on him. Um, for every play, and and Tristan Jebia has had spurts, but he is not a deep ball guy like you know the Beavs are used to with with Jake Luton. So um, that has been probably my biggest disappointment in watching this Oregon State team is the lack of the offense aside, uh, you know, aside from Jamar Jefferson to um, you know sustain drives and and pick up yards when needed. It's going to be a lot more dinking and dunking down the field, um, just because like I said, Jebia does not have that arm strength, but. Um, we've seen flashes. It just hasn't all been put together in, in one package.
0: We saw Oregon fans, I should say, and Matt and I are, as well in person saw Tristan Jebbia's first start in last year's Civil War. How has he grown since then? And, and I guess you just kind of outlined the fact that maybe the deep ball is not great, but like. What's, what's his like what does the Oregon State fan base think of him right now I mean are they, are, do they see the potential or are they kind of going maybe he's not going to be the guy long term because he is only a junior and, and I guess in theory could have three years with the you know with the uh, the window being frozen this year
2: no you know Tristan Jebbia, it was interesting because last year was his first start at that Oregon game and he really didn't even look to one of his best targets that he had at the time in Isaiah Hodgins so um, you know I think we, we keep getting asked this question by the Oregon State fans. Is, is this an offensive line problem? Is this a Tristan Jebbia problem? Or is it a wide receiver problem? Uh, and I, I would say it's actually kind of a combo of the three. This, this offensive line has three new starters um, filling in on the left side for two guys in Gus Lavaca and Blake Brandell who started four years for the Beavers. So, you know, I think Blake had all 48 starts under his belt. So um, it's been a learning curve. They've picked up run blocking a lot quicker than pass pro. But, you know, Oregon State also wide receivers, they're faster than we've seen Oregon State receivers in the past several years. But there's no size. I mean, you're looking at guys all under six feet. Uh, so they're looking more to the tight end game and, and Luke Musgrave. But Tristan Jebbia, you know, fans are, are a fickle bunch. And, and the favorite guy in the team is always the backup quarterback when, when things aren't going super well. And I, I think fans are kind of in this undecided boat of, you know, this is kind of a, a, a waste, not a waste, but a throwaway year, if you will, a, a scrimmage year. So it would be nice to see maybe what some of these other quarterbacks have. We were told this week by Brian Lindgren, the offensive coordinator, that Chance Nolan, the junior college guy they brought in, is ready to go. And if they feel that the Beavers needed a spark on offense, that we might see some of him this week.
1: Um, Go ahead,
0: Eric. Well, I was just going to say, I I think it's interesting to look at this Oregon State offense. And do you think the offense would look different with a different quarterback? Like, I mean, do you think he handcuffs – what Lindgren and company are trying to do?
2: Not necessarily. I mean, yeah, the, the deep ball's gone. I mean, Tristan just does not have that arm strength to, to, to bomb it down the field like a Jake Luton would. I, I haven't seen a ton of creativity, though. Um, you know, one thing we've been talking about all week is is seeing more fly sweep. I mean, that's something Oregon State has kind of built a reputation on, and especially with the smaller, faster wide receivers, at least having guys in motion, you know, almost every snap, and, and we haven't seen a lot of that. So um, I'm not sure if that is just a you know trying to keep things kind of vanilla and add things in as the season goes on or you know if that's just something they haven't really took, you know come on to but um, they're gonna need something besides just Jamar because you cannot be one dimensional um, against you know Oregon or Utah or, or some of these teams in the in the conference
1: we've said so much about Oregon State's offense and how impressive they are with Jamar Jefferson. Mario Cristobal Oregon's head coach has raved about OSU's offensive line as well, Um, being very nimble, very, very strong, very athletic guys that can get downfield and move. I'm curious, though, how does Oregon State's front seven, you feel like, match up with Oregon's offensive line? Because the Ducks are also one of the better rushing teams in the conference. They've built an offensive line. They're huge compared to even the previous two seasons under Cristobal. Oregon... Uh, Oregon struggled a little bit against UCLA and some things that they did with their stemming and their stunting. Um, does OSU's front seven match up well against Oregon's offensive line, you think?
2: Yeah, you know, that's such a good question because, you know, yeah, Oregon State's offensive line is, is small. I mean, they're one of the smallest O lines in the in the conference. So that's who the defensive line is, is going against every single day in practice. They did okay against Washington, though, and Washington has a, a huge offensive line. Um, Oregon State just has had so much kind of unfortunate situations with the D line, you know, I mean, linebackers, you look at the linebackers and I'd say it's the Oregon state linebacking crew is, is one of the top, probably in the conference, just top to bottom with depth, but the defensive line is really, I don't want to say completely struggle, but they're missing Jordan Whitley who was slated to be the nose tackle. And then this summer was diagnosed with a heart tumor of all things. So um, I'd never even heard of a heart tumor, but he's out. And, you know, he is the 350 pound double teamed, nose tackle that Oregon state is missing. So um, they've struggled some, of course, I, I didn't like the scheme. They went, um, they went with a, a two man front against Washington state. And I, I think that was a mistake, but um, I, that's the biggest question I think heading into this game is how well Oregon state's defensive front seven can contain, you know, Oregon's quarterback. Just, I, I just, I think that's the key to the game right there is if they can keep him contained, I think they have a shot, but um, let him, if you lose containment on, on Tyler is it's going to go downhill quick. And we've seen Oregon State, I mean, last week against Cal, they gave up 317 yards in the first half. It was horrible. Um, and then the second half, they only gave up 122. So um, they have shown the ability to make adjustments, but um, we haven't seen them play, you know, for full quarters of the best they can do.
0: Mario Cristobal made a lot, and I think Joe Moorhead as well, just about the linebacking core. Oregon State has there at that next level. And you mentioned maybe the lack of size in the middle of that defensive line. But speak a little bit about some of those guys there. I know obviously most are familiar with Hamilkha Rashid and what he did last year as one of the conference's most explosive pass rushers and just best linebackers, period. But sounds like that group as a whole has a lot of talent and could be a, a tough match for for Oregon up front.
2: Yeah, yeah. and in, in fact, it's, it's been kind of a head-scratcher because Hamilkha has not had a huge year this year at all. Um, You know, NFL scouts had come back and told told him that they wanted to see him gain some strength and some speed. So that's what he's worked on. But he's not having that domination that he had a year ago. But the linebackers are really led in the middle from Omar Spates, who was a a freshman All-American last season, and Avery Roberts, who transferred from Nebraska, who has really got his feet under him. Both those guys lead the team in tackles. Just super solid, you know. Avery is that field general on the for the for the defense and is calling out plays and super solid there. And then you know you mentioned Hamilka, but then you also have a John um, John McCartan who had a big game. You have guys basically the entire two deep. Kyrie Fisher, um, they've all started. So Oregon State has eight guys that have started at linebacker. So a lot of depth there, able to move guys in and out pretty quickly and uh, pretty seamlessly.
1: what's been the biggest revelation you feel like of this OSU team through three games? Like like I look at their record and they were, they were competitive against Washington state. um, But it feels like maybe they didn't play their best game Um, the next week against Washington. I feel like they got really screwed. They, they should have had that first down late in the fourth quarter um inside what washington's 10 yard line
2: yeah it was awful probably would have (laughs) it was horrible
1: probably would have led to a touchdown and who knows if 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 washington would have been able to you know march down the field and score a touchdown to win the game again but you know then against cal they dominated um kind of a tale of every you know story you could say about this team in the first three games but what's been the thing that stood out the most to you through three three games for osu
2: it's really just the inconsistency you know we haven't like I mentioned earlier we haven't seen this team put together four quarters on all three sides of the ball I mean we've seen horrible special teams blunders in the first game we've seen an offense that starts to click in certain areas and then a defense that that fails them so it's, it's been really inconsistent you know it's it's just they can't get they can't sustain drives on offense and then the defense will step up and and kind of a bend-don't-break defense. Offense can score, but then the defense gives up points. It's just been kind of all over the board. I, I think we saw the best outing this past week against Cal in that even special teams, you know, special teams was on fire. They blocked a punt late in the game that led to a touch the go-ahead touchdown, and, um, you know, they they seemed to kind of come alive. But, it, but another interesting facet, too, is that that first game against Washington State, it was interesting because I, coming into that game, I thought Oregon State would have an advantage in that they returned all 10 of their coaches. You know, this was not a new staff. This was all the guys knew the system, the scheme, and Washington State brought in an entirely new staff, a uh, new quarterback. And I, I thought Oregon State would have the advantage, but Washington State came in fired up and looked like the veteran team. Oregon State has kind of taken on the, the kind of the persona of their head coach and, and really the entire Oregon State coaching staff. And they're very even keel, very um, non emotional. And that's kind of what we've seen from them, which I think was kind of shocking in the first couple games, but then we saw it pay off against Cal where they were able to kind of stay the course and, and come back for that win.
0: Angie, Oregon's a two score favorite here. And last year's game was extremely competitive. I know it was, a, it ended up being a 14 point Oregon win, but really that's not even indicative of how close the game was. Seems like Oregon state and Oregon are, are both pretty, une- have been kind of uneven in their performances. I know Oregon's won three Oregon state's only won one game, but like, is the sense that you've gotten both from like Oregon state players and coaches, but also from the fan base that they expect this to be a lot more like what last year's game was in terms of the competitive, you know, competitiveness of this game or, or what's kind of the mindset or kind of sense you're getting um, entering Friday's game.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, that the players and the, and the coaches, they've been real quiet. You know, they obviously don't want any bulletin board material. Um, It's business as usual, but they do have a quiet confidence. And I know before the season even started, they felt that there wasn't a team on the schedule that scared them, um, that they felt like they could compete. And that's, you know, year three now of coach Smith, they're in that mode of competing, but they need to, to turn that corner and, and win some of those that they might typically lose. So, um, the players and coaches, I would say are super confident are confident about competing, competing with the ducks. I would say fans are probably less though. So, um, you know, just because you look on paper and Oregon has so much more talent, sure. but, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Oregon State does now have a couple coaches. Coach Smith played in, in the Civil War, played in four. So did special teams co- coordinator Jake Cookus. They ha- uh, Trent Bray has played in, in four Civil Wars. So there's some guys there that that on the coaching staff that know what Civil War is all about or the Oregon game, the game formerly known as Civil War. See, I got <laughs> stuck in it again. But, um, you know, that they know about it. And, you know, media has kind of tried to ask Coach Smith what his thoughts are, you know, how he – you know, if if this is a bigger game and and he, of course, he's not saying, yes, it's a bigger game, but um, you know, the kids from Oregon, Oregon state has a lot of guys from the state of Oregon. And and this is a a big game for them to go out and and prove. um, I don't want to say prove their worth, but that, you know, I think there's a chip on the shoulder of Oregon didn't offer. So we need to show them that they missed out.
1: Got a off the cuff question here. Um, It's a year, weird year. Everyone's had a different um, off season than normal. Expectations, I think, can maybe be adjusted there a little bit. And I don't. I I went into this year thinking Oregon State was potentially going to make a bowl game. Um, and so uh, if they have a, a losing record this year, I, I I look at it as hey, it's 2020, wash it away. Um, but what's the trajectory feel like for Oregon State? Is, is this year even if? Let's, let's ignore the wins and losses column here for a second. Do you, do you see this team though, getting significantly better in year three of the Jonathan Smith era? Um, or have they plateaued it a little bit and they, they need to figure something out this offseason or the, the second half of this year? Uh, or have they taken a step back? How do you just see this, the trajectory of this team uh, where they're going right now?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I was with you, Matt. I mean, I looked at, at the season before the, the start of the season and I thought potentially bowl game for this team. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, possibility now, but um, it's interesting, you know, there's two schools of thought on this season and, and a lot of fans actually are kind of in that mindset of let's let younger guys play. Let's give them their shot. This year doesn't count. Let the young guys play, get some live bullets and uh, help prepare them for next year. The coaching staff is still in that mode of we're going to play line up the, you know, the 11 best guys on both sides of the ball and and go from there and, and see where the, our chips fall. So um, there's definitely not a give up there. I do think Oregon State needs to elevate recruiting in certain areas, especially on the defensive line. We're seeing, you know, just how tenuous that is. And, you know, you lose one guy and it shouldn't be as thin as it is. So um, defensive line, I think, is a huge import, you know piece of importance. I, I would love to see the Beavers find a, another Taller wide receiver, and I don't want to put a ton of stock in that guys have to be tall, but um, you know we're we're seeing that guys are getting beat at the line. You know they're getting jammed at the line and not being able to to uh, run their timing routes properly. So that's that's a you know a question if they're. I mean Champ Fleming's. I love him. He's he's a tough kid. He's hardworking, but he's five 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 six. So um, one hundred and forty one pounds. That's pretty easy to. He might be able to outrun you in the open field, but at the line of scrimmage he's not going to win many battles. Um, so yeah, I think, I think they have a ways to go, but I think coach Smith and his staff do have a kind of a plan in place. They have a vision for, for what they see. It's too bad that this whole pandemic and everything has, has caused kind of the havoc that it has because, you know, it's, um, you know they missed out on spring ball, which would have been hugely important and the traditional fall camp and, um, recruiting, you know, honestly, it's, it's hard not to have guys coming up to Corvallis and, and checking out, campus or being able to be on the road to um you know talk to them and and evaluate them oregon state isn't recruiting the four and five star kids blue chips so um while i think at the beginning of this it was okay because they had relationships with the guys kind of their top targets already in place now they're missing out on seeing a lot of those you know the sophomores juniors the younger guys that they typically would be already evaluated and offered by now
1: okay we'll get you out on this question here um how does Oregon state win this game? And I guess, how does Oregon win this game? What has to happen for both scenarios to play out?
2: Um, I, yeah, for Oregon to win. I mean, if, if they, if i I'll start with Oregon state. So if Oregon state wants to win, they need to contain Tyler. Is it Shaw? Shaw? I don't want to Shuck. pronounce his name.
0: Chuck with duck.
2: Chuck with duck. Okay. So yes, they have to contain him. Um, and then defense or offensively, they need to sustain some drives and, and keep the defense off the field so much. And, Hopefully, get something going besides just Jamar Jefferson because I just don't think Jamar can carry carry the team the entire game in Civil War. Um, you know, so it's kind of almost the opposite for Oregon. If Oregon wants to win, I think they need to stop Jamar. I mean, stop. A lot of teams have tried, and I mean, he has three all three games over 100 yards, and against Cal it was 196. So um, he's obviously a, a special a special talent there. But um, Oregon needs to stop him and, and really stop Oregon State's tight ends. You know, Tegan Quatoriano and Luke Musgrave both are, are big targets for, uh, for Tristan Jebbia. And then on uh, defense, I mean, or on offense, like I said, if, if the quarterback can get loose, I, I worry about that.
1: She is Angie Machado. You can read her work on beaverblitz.com. It's part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Uh, you can go read her work pregame, postgame, in-game with your membership to duckterritory.com. Get the full story For both sides. Angie, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much and we will certainly see you in Corvallis.
2: See you guys this weekend.
0: Talk to you later, folks.